Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war in soon, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it shows just because the civil war is, is over doesn't mean that animosity just goes away, or you automatically are like, yeah, we were wrong, hey, I'm so sorry, yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snap Up, where each week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done as society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snap Book, don't be surprised when start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway. Back in the good old days, you could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids, we're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars of debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty or $30,000 they borrow. They might pay two or three hundred thousand dollars in their lifetime with all the competitive interest. And now here are your hackers of the week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome back into our Snap Hook listeners. Another week, another edition of the Snap Hook coming at you. How are we doing this week, Scott? Uh, we are doing great. Uh, we, you know kind of threw some issues back and forth. So I think we're ready to go for another great episode. You know, I, I think sometimes you and I, we kind of just hop right into whatever we're talking about. You know, what, what's been going on with you, Scott? You know, let's kind of get a little, let's get a little check in on, on, on Scott Barzilla. What's, how's life been going? What's, what's going good? What's, what are we looking forward to this week? Is, uh, you know, the WBC going on right now? What are we looking forward to? Uh, I am looking forward to actually a couple of different trips I'm doing. Uh, I'm going to get to go with my daughter to Disney World in April uh, to help chaperone uh, the trip. So uh, that'll be fun. Uh, also, I have a golfing weekend with the family coming up later on in April. I did get out and play during spring break. One round. Uh, how did that go? Well, you know, depending on how, what your expectations are, right? I hadn't played in about six months, so... Uh, I did break a hundred, so that was that, that's clutch. But uh, uh, I had forty putts. Uh, I, I want to just since you're really good at golf, is that a good amount of putts to have in a round? Uh, no, that's not that's not what we're looking for. I think uh, you know I, I I like to be always below thirty six personally, but if I could be in the twenty eight to thirty two range, uh, I feel a lot better about it. Yeah, I had uh, one particular par three where I was on the fridge in one, and I took a double. That was uh, not a good, uh, not a good hole for me there. But hey, it's it's all about getting out there, having a good time. Glad you were able to uh, get back out there. Had a good spring break, rested, you know, ready to take on this uh, last part of semester. Absolutely, absolutely. How about you, Tim? What uh, what have you been up to? You know, I was uh, lucky enough. My wife and I, we are expecting our first child together. We had uh, our uh, ultrasound this morning. All things uh, looking good. She is, uh, we are having a girl and she is big. She's already uh, almost three pounds in the 80th percentile already. Uh, I feel bad for my wife, but, uh, um, you know, very, very blessed and very excited. Oh, that, it is. Yeah. The, the, Believe me, time will fly by you. So, you know, cherish, you know, these moments. So, Scott, I know we kind of wanted to, to do a little check-in and, and a little bit of a reset for some of our new listeners as, you know, as we have picked up some uh, some new listeners since our first episode. And, you know, our, our audio equipment's gotten better since our, our first episode. So some of those listeners might not have wanted to, to go back and, and listen to that first, uh, that first framing episode. So, uh, I, I know you want to kind of reset the reset the uh, the framing here a little bit and, and kind of uh, remind some of the, the from day one people uh, the way we do things. Right. And, uh, and I think, number one, uh, and I know Tim went to uh, went to college and studied this stuff and ended up finishing, you know, uh, in journalism more than I did. I, I started in journalism and I shifted. But one of the first lessons they taught us was that. 
if you're, you know, if you're doing an old fashioned radio show, your audience switches over about every 15 to 20 minutes. And so sometimes you have to find, you find yourself repeating things that you said before. So what we did in our first episode is we did a whole thing of why should you listen to us? Who are we? Uh, what are our areas of expertise and what can you expect from the show? So I'm just going to do run through those three things real quick on my end and then let Tim, you know, bounce it off of him as well. So uh, I'm, I've been a teacher for about 25 years. Uh, I've worked in different areas of education. I've been a counselor, I've been a bus driver, I've been uh, in support facilitation, I've been uh, teaching uh history and English. So I've done a lot of different things, been a coach. And so, you know, I feel like I'm very versed in education. Obviously Tim's wife is in education, so uh, he's going to know some things as well. Um, and so, you know, I feel very qualified to talk about that. So that's going to hit us with our, uh, our issue that we're going to talk about tonight. But the, uh, the two things that we've said that we, uh, as we went along, uh, particularly early on is number one, we are never going to purposely lie to you. And, and I feel like we haven't done that. Uh, some people might come back and find, you know, a little bit of errors here and there. It's maybe some figures or things that we've we said, but I, we're, we're not going to purposely lie to you. But I think the other thing, and this is especially going to be uh, going true as we move forward with some issues that we have planned here in the future, is that we're going to uh, bring on some guests who are subject area experts in the areas that we're talking about. And this is because, you know, and, and especially with framing, we've framed things left and right. But to me, that is not the only dividing line. I think we're going to see some issues. And I think tonight's issue, is, uh, or this morning's issue, if you're listening in the morning, uh, is a perfect example that not all things can be framed left versus right. Uh, some things are going to be framed some different ways. And so one of the biases that we often see is, you know, not necessarily left or right, but also facts versus fiction. And particularly a bias of being against subject area experts for whatever reason. And so we're going to try to, to lead in to having those subject area experts whenever we can because we want to prevent, uh, present to you the very best information that we have. And we want you to walk away you know, from listening to the stat book thinking, you know, I learned some things that I didn't know. And I think, you know, if, if you could walk away with that, that is something that, you know, we've met our goal. And so that's, that's you know, the reset that I was thinking of, you know, before we started with tonight's topic. And I think you hit the nail on the head there when it comes to us bringing on guests, Scott, because I think that's really why we wanted to kind of hit this point again is, is we are going to hopefully see a few more guests here on the snap hook, right? We had our uh, WBC Bonanza last week with our, our first two guests all in one. Uh, and we've got some, some pretty special things planned up here uh, for this week and for next week as, as it comes to bringing on guests. And so, uh, yeah, just to remind everybody when we find somebody that, um, you know, we find interesting, we're going to want to bring those people to you. Uh, and as long as we know that they're truthful, they're honest, um, and they bring something to the table, uh, we're going to want to have those, people's on, those people on, and we're going to want to um, have a great conversation with them. Because at the end of the day, we are um, here for your entertainment just as much as uh, your education. But, you know, if we're not entertaining, um, then you're probably going to turn us off at the end of the day. So, uh, anytime we bring somebody on, it's it's because we think that it's going to be an enjoyable conversation, and and hopefully it's going to give you uh, a different perspective than you might have had. I, I think anyone who listened to our uh, our our episode last week with with Nate Gutierrez talking about uh, the efforts of the Chinese baseball team, or even you know what we did with Dan Vaughn talking about the growth of baseball in Australia, um, not a lot of people know about that stuff, Scott. You know, not a lot of people realize. Um, the, the effort it takes to grow a sport that's not, you know, naturally played there. It's not one of the main popular sports. We have such a culture for it here in America. We have such an ex, uh, disposable income for those, for those sporting events, for those tickets, for the equipment, whatever it may be, uh, that we don't realize how, how tough it is to get a sport going in other countries. And so uh, I personally, you know, listened to that episode myself and, and really enjoyed listening back to 
to it, uh, even though I've, I've known Dan for five years and, and I was part of that Chinese baseball project myself. I was there every day and I still um, forget about, you know, how important that project was for the landscape of, of an entire country playing the game that I love. Absolutely. And, you know, and I went back and I listened to, you know, that portion of the interview and that was, uh, it was fantastic. You know, I, I'm not going to say radio, but I guess you know, that's more or less the medium. Uh, it was a learning experience, definitely from my end. And one of the things that I want to uh, invite everybody to do is like our Facebook page. Uh, particularly if you're on Tim's friend list or my friend list, you got an invitation to like that page. Uh, but take a look, you know, look for the snap hook and give us some comments. Is there an issue that we haven't touched on that you want us to, to bring to light? Is Are there guests that you would love to hear from? Would you like to be a guest? Are you a subject area expert? You know, let us know. Uh, we'd love, you know, we invite you know, anybody who knows something that we don't know uh, to come on and inform our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's one of the things we really wanted to harp on before we got into everything was we do want to expand this show to our listeners. Uh, you guys are the, the lifeblood of, of the show. There is there is no podcast if no one listens to it. So, um, you know, we don't live in a world where you're going to call in the radio show and, and talk about that that game that night. Uh, there's no post game call in here, but uh, we definitely would, you know, like to open the, the door to anyone who um, is interested, has something to bring to the table, uh, has some thoughts on a topic, has a topic that we haven't brought to the table. Let us know. We'd love to have you on. Uh, but let's let's kind of shift gears a little bit here, Scott, uh, and kind of get into our our topic du jour for the week. Uh, now, this is something that, luckily, you you and I specifically are not affected with this issue on a you know one-on-one level but it is something that um seeing seeing it happen is is really kind of nerve-wracking a little bit scary um and almost you know i think the word is authoritarian uh when you look at how this has played out and of course we're, we're talking about uh for those of you who don't know we're talking about hisd uh being taken over by the state uh and it's when the next uh by the next school year, all of the, the board of trustees will be replaced and they will be, you know, a, a, a group put in specifically chosen by the Texas Education Association. And it will have nothing to do with how the people of that community voted or how they feel they, they want their school district to run. It, it really doesn't matter anymore because they've lost control of the district. All right. So let me set this up since uh, I guess, you know, for the purposes here, I'll be the education expert. So the TEA has rules, and then the rules are is that if a school or a district has an F rating for five consecutive years, then that school or that district are eligible to be taken over. And we've, we've discussed this on the show in pre, uh, previous episodes. Uh, I mentioned Lamarck, for instance, uh, being a school district that was shut down. We've mentioned North Forest uh, being one. And so... Here is basically what happens. Uh, we're gonna. This is kind of a two-part thing. So the first part I want to get to is, let's say you have a school or the district gets an F five years in a row. Now, obviously, later on, we'll get into what actually goes into that A, B, C, D, or F rating. But, uh, but for now, let's just assume the F rating. Eight, uh, so HISD has had one campus, Wheatley High School has uh, had failed five consecutive years between 2014-2019. So the TEA has a few options. Number one, if it's a small district, like with Lamarck and with North Forest, they could fold that over into a neighboring school district, which is what they did in those two cases. Uh, Lamarck went to Texas City. North Forest actually went into HISD. Uh, One of the the other options they have is that they could, TEA can simply take over that individual school. They could take over Wheatley High School if they wanted to. Uh, another thing that they could do is they could just close the school down and disperse the students throughout the district. But then there is the last option. And the last option is they could take over the whole district. 
Now, before anybody goes way too far, just, just to let you know, HISD is the largest school district in the state of Texas. It has 276 campuses, Scott, that they're taking over because one one school has bad numbers. Now, 275 other schools are under the jurisdiction of TEA. That's right. And so, and I, I think there's only one or two other districts in the whole country that are bigger than HISD. So, I mean, this is a big deal. We're talking in the hundreds of thousands of students, you know, that will be affected by this. Now, for my end, there's there's two problems that I see. Number one, why are we taking over the entire district for one underperforming school? And number two, it's uh, they've been in litigation. HISD has, has tried to block TEA from doing this. And, you know, they have their reasons for doing that. And obviously, you know, there are two, at least two sides to this issue. TEA has their side. And HISD has their side. But in the meantime, remember I said 2014 to 2019. Now, what's happened in the interim? I mean, because we're here in 2023 right now. Well, what happens is, is TEA brings out their reports that they lag a year behind. So their latest report is going to be uh, finishing up the 2021 school year. And so we've had 2019, 2020 in 2020 and 2021. Those reports have already come in and Wheatley scored AC in those years. So not only are we talking about one school, but we're talking about one school that is no longer scoring an F. Uh, HISD brought in a new uh, superintendent. They they have, you know, obviously school board elections every year. And, you know, some members cycle on, some members cycle off, but the current school board and the current superintendent have overseen an improvement in that school. I personally teach in a school that, that got an A rating. So when I see a C, it's like, eh, you're doing okay. I mean, you go back to school, that's one of the reasons TEA came up with this, is that everybody knows what a C means. Hardly anybody knew what recognize meant. I mean, when I heard recognize, it's like, Oh, I didn't know what that building was before, but I recognize it. It's a school now. I mean, that's the kind of you know thing that you know, that came before. But a C rating is a passing rating. So again, why are the TEA taking over the district? Yeah, I I, I don't understand. I don't understand the, the full takeover of the district. I, I completely get if you wanted to. I'm all, you know, you and I are both on the record. We're for education reform, right? Your your school is doing some advanced things that that other schools are not doing, uh, and, and I'm all for investing in our education. What I'm not for is completely disregarding the results of an election. And every single person who lives in that district, in that school district, voted for school board. And I, I get that one school is struggling, but out of 297, you know, it, it just seems to me that we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater here, Scott. And it's, uh, if you look at the, the rule or the law, it's very, it's very vaguely written. On, on when a takeover can happen right there. It can be interpreted a lot of ways. And that's why it's been taken advantage of to this, to this extent, you know, there's the, the district, you know, went to Supreme court and that's why it, it took as long as it did, but finally the Supreme court sided with, with TEA. Um, and it, it's just, it, it's not a good situation for, you know, if you go to Memorial high school, right. That's a pretty, pretty nice school in a pretty wealthy area that had one of the better golf teams in the district. So typically those schools are pretty nice, right? At the end of the day, they're not having issues. There's no problems going on there. If you live in Memorial, you know, you're pretty happy with how things are going. So now you've lost control of your school, you know, and what does this mean for extracurriculars? What does this mean for, you know, how teachers will be able to conduct their classroom? I think there's a lot of other secondary questions that come with this when the community loses the autonomy or the ability to say how they want their, their children to be educated. I, am, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm not in favor of, of failing the kids. I am not. But 
you know, you, you can't expect every single school to, to pass every year. I, I think that's an, uh, not a fair expectation to the kids. At some point, some kids in some parts of town are not going to have the resources based on how we divide them. And when you when you divide resources based on um, property taxes, at, at some point, someone's going to get the short end of the stick. And then you're going to sit there and punish the, the school district that got the short end of the stick, doing the very best that they can. And it's just, it, it, it's going to be at the behest of those kids, Scott. Because to me, at the end of the day, all that's going to happen is they're going to come in and they're going to teach the, the star test. They're going to teach directly to the star test for the entire year. There's going to be no legit education. They're going to be teaching those kids how to pass that test. And that is it. So let me, uh, let me, you know, follow through with the tease that we had here, uh, because I wanted to talk about the accountability system, because this is something where I think the TEA, you know, has made a lot of progress with. It is not just about star results anymore. Uh, that's not what goes into the accountability system. That's part of the grade. But, you know, the other part of the grade is we're talking about, uh, you know, what's your dropout rate? Uh, what's your average daily attendance? How many kids are, what's your graduation rate? Uh, we're also looking at all kinds of subpopulations. So uh, one of the, this uh, acronym keeps changing every year. Right now it's called Emerging Bilingual, uh, but it used to be English as a second language. It, it, it's gone through many iterations. And so those kids take something called telepass. And so that, that, that's a whole other test. And are they making progress? So the way that this works is that all these different markers, you either meet the bar or you don't. There is no, we sort of met it. We almost met it. No, you either get 100% in that uh, domain or you get zero. And so like, for instance, our campus scored about a 90, 91 which is, you know, for those of you who have been through school, is an A, but it's barely an A. And so our principal is looking at, you know, and we've, we've done this at faculty meetings, looking at specific areas where we did not meet the marker. Uh, but, but some of these are good, I think, ultimately at the end of the day. Uh, one of those is, are your kids career and college ready by the time they graduate? And those have specific criteria that you know, say whether your career in college ready. Uh, obviously, I think attendance is a big deal. I think uh, whether your kids are improving. So you know, not only are we looking at who's passing the star, but we're looking at you know, okay, this kid got a seventy before. Okay, that's great. Are they getting an eighty next time, or are they stuck at seventy? So there's a lot of things that go into this. So when Wheatley got an F, they legitimately got an F. I mean, they, they earned that F. But the other portion, and I think this is the point that Tim was getting at, is that when we uh, looked at education previously, we talked about uh, vouchers in a previous episode. This is a perfect, HISD is a perfect, uh, a perfect microcosm of this whole issue because you have school choice in HISD. And so to mention Memorial, I'll mention Bel Air High School. Bel Air High School, you know, for years had more national merit finalists than any school in the state of Texas. That's an HISD. But the whole thing is they're a magnet school. They're a magnet school for foreign language. They teach over 20 foreign languages at that school. I mean, they've, they've got Mandarin Chinese as, you know, a possible class that you can take. But the problem is with school choice, and this is what we talked about earlier, is that there are schools that are going to be the first choice, and there are schools that are going to be the last choice. And Wheatley is one of those that apparently is the last choice. Now, are there things that they can do that you know are better? Well, they've proven the last two years where they got a C rating. Obviously, we still need to know what's going to happen 2021 to 22, and then you know this school year is not finished yet. We haven't even taken really any star test this year yet, but they have improved. And so, you know, the accountability system is not just star anymore. That's the, that's basically the, the send off on this, but they have made some inroads. And so 
we're kind of, you know, we're moving the bar. We're, we're you know, moving the goalpost on them. And they're not, it's not only the superintendent, the school board that are changing. State of Texas TEA could fit, uh, potentially fire every teacher that's on that staff. That's over 100 teachers probably. They could yeah, fire that's, that's what scares people the most too, Scott, is in the, in the uh, TEA takeover of North, North Forest, it was 25% of the 350 teachers uh, in that district were hired by HISD. So 75% of teachers lost their jobs. Uh, they've already started posting. TEA has already started posting um, the jobs on uh, on job boards and websites. They're already hiring. I mean, they're looking to turn a lot of this over. And it's, you know, I was just looking at, at the map right now. If you look at how big HISD is, you know, for those of you, who live in Houston, this is probably going to be a little bit more relevant to you, but just to give you an idea, it runs as far south as Alameda Road, uh, just north of Alvin, goes as far north as um, like Rankin Road area, just short of um, just short of Aldine. It goes as far west as, I mean, it goes as far west as Katy. It's just a tad bit south of I-10. And then it goes as far east all the way towards Deer Park, off of 10, just a little bit north of where Deer Park is. So this, I mean, this district is unbelievably massive. And then if you look at Wheatley High School itself, 96% of that school is economically disadvantaged. 96% are on free or discounted lunch, and it's in the greater fifth ward. It is, you know, it's not a great part of town. And the if you look at the enrollment year by year, it gets less every year, which typically means, you know, kids are dropping out, right? So... When you, it's not a charter school either. So all the kids that are in that area that want to go to a better school, as you mentioned, they're not going there. This is an economically disadvantaged school. And you're going to, when you look at the size of HISD, I mean, this is, I don't know, would 300 square miles be an outrageous assumption here, Scott? When you look at how far you have to drive to, to go to, I mean, you couldn't, it, it would be an eight hour day to visit north, south, east, and west in Houston traffic at the far points to visit the high schools in this district, right? If you go to the most far north one, most far south, most far east, most far west, it's a full day of driving. Um, and because one of them, which is a, again, very economically disadvantaged school, doesn't have the support that it needs all around. And, and you're going to hold the whole district, you know, their heads, their hands over the fire because it's, they say they're not going to affect the day-to-day operations uh, but it does affect the budgets. You know, the budgets are going to be taken over. And so what does that mean for, um, you know, after school fine arts programs, for music, for, you know, um, sports that are not high school football in Texas? You know, all these things are in jeopardy besides obviously the most frustrating thing that your vote doesn't matter anymore in this specific part of the election. Right. And, and I do have a cousin who works in the district uh, and she is in administration. She uh, she's in special education, just like I am. So, yeah, I don't think she has anything to do with Wheatley High School. Um, but, you know, she does. She works with special programs. And I know that, you know, she's very dedicated to what she does and she's good at what she does. Now, could the state lay off the entire administration I, I don't think they would but everything's on the table when you're taking over the entire school district everything's on the table and i think when we looked at north forest and this is kind of the and there were some things that were going on at north forest that were just bizarre like they had a room in the school north forest high school that where they bought a bunch of decadent china and that's where they hosted like events. They had one of the members of the school board that demanded that she get picked up by a limousine before every school board meeting. Had you know a school board member that would go to Vegas every year to tour their you know to tour their schools. I'm gonna put air quotes around that for since we're on radio and you can't see me. Las Vegas schools are uglier in sin. There's no reason. I mean, they're boxes. They're, they're, nobody, nobody goes to Vegas to go look at their schools. But, you know, she would be staying on the Strip. And, you know, she obviously would, you know, be having some fun doing go to shows, maybe doing some gambling. So 
it's not to say that there are not things that are going on that shouldn't be going on. Okay, Wheatley High School, even with all the numbers that Tim gave to you, shouldn't be getting an F rating five years in a row. That shouldn't be happening. But there are teachers on that staff who are busting their tail, doing the very best that they can. And there are probably teachers on that staff who really shouldn't be there. They shouldn't be teaching in any school in the state of Texas. I could tell you teachers in my own building who probably I would say the same thing about. We just happen to have an A rating. And so, you know, those teachers kind of just glide through you know, the way that they always do. And then, you know, we've talked about policing, you know, in the past. And, and education is really no different. Um, there are issues within education. It sometimes is more difficult to get rid of a bad teacher than it should be. These are all things that I think all of us would acknowledge. However, what we can't, we can't say is that everybody in that building was failing. That's not true. There were some people that were doing a heck of a job and doing the best job they possibly could. And you certainly can't say that there are everybody in HISD is doing a bad job because there are schools that are performing very well. The DeBakey High School uh, it consistently uh, when the Houston Chronicle rate, rates its high schools in the, uh, in the state of Texas, or at least in the Houston area, DeBakey High School, I think for the last three or four years running, has rated as the number one high school in the, in the city of Houston. So there are some very, very good schools in that district. And then there are some schools that yeah, things are not going so well. Now, the question is, obviously, why? And if we come to with a new superintendent and a new school board, are they going to get down to the reasons why these things are happening? Uh, I doubt that, seriously. And are, are we going to be putting forth an agenda that maybe has nothing to do with why these schools are not succeeding? It is. I mean, again, everything, everything you're, you're mentioning there is, is the issues that we're, we're concerned with, right? The, the agenda, I think, is one that we don't have the data on that one to be able to back that up because I, I think what's this is a big undertaking for TEA. You know, some of, they've taken over some smaller districts before. They've taken over El Paso as well, which is, I mean, it's it's a bigger district, but it's not HISD, right? And so I, I don't know if if they quite understand what they're getting into, Scott. And that's what really worries me more than you know the. The ideologies, the the you know, the curriculums, things like that. Like obviously, I think there's some there's reason to be nervous there, but I don't want to speculate. What I am most concerned about is that I just don't think they understand how what they're getting themselves into. How many students that are being serviced and for the most part serviced well. So I I just am concerned that. We're, we're going to get too many cooks in the kitchen and we're going to really kind of mess up what's what's going well for a lot of kids. And I think there's going to be a lot of kids disserviced simply because, you know, change for change sake is coming down the road. Yeah, let's, you know, let's not cry a river for, you know, the superintendent, you know, just yet. And, and one of the things that uh, my dad worked in administration as, uh, as an education. He, in fact, his last year teaching was the year I was born. Uh, so that was 1973. And so he finished the last 25 years of his career in various levels of, of administration. And one of those was as a superintendent of a very small school district uh, before I went to school. Superintendents typically uh, particularly in your larger school districts, they have a lifespan of about five years, maybe. You know, if they make it five years, they're doing really well because, you know, we're talking about highly political decisions. You know, school boards, typically most school districts have a, a board of seven people. So if you've got four people that don't like you on that school board, you're out, you know, and, and so he's going to find more. He's going to find work somewhere. Because, you know, what has he done? He has effectively stepped in and he has made HISD better. Somebody out there is going to want him, you know, to do that for their district. 
Now, HISD, you know, some people mentioned, hey, you know, could he stay on as an advisor for TEA? Maybe, but I don't know that he wants to do that necessarily. Um, and then, you know, who are these school board members? And this is where and we have to remind people, you know, the state of Texas, particularly if you're not from Texas and you don't live in Texas, you kind of, you know, you're going to see Texas through a certain prism that really is probably not what you think it is. I mean, most people see Texas as a red state, and I guess, and as its totality is, it is a red state. But one of the things that's peculiar about Texas is that the urban areas, and in particular, you're talking about Houston, you're talking about Austin, you're talking about San Antonio, maybe not so much Dallas, but uh, the other major cities, these are blue areas. Okay, every uh, every county and uh, city of Houston official, you know, particularly mayor and county judges at this point, are Democrats. So, are we? You know, is this TEA that is you know kind of the arm of the state, which we know that every major elected official in state government at this point is a Republican. Are we trying to, you know, do some things that, you know, against a, uh, whatever they perceive to be, uh, what we're pushing into HSD? I don't know. Uh, and like Tim said, you know, we hate to speculate on that, but you know, that is something we have to put out there. It is something we have to point out because I think, you know, it, it's going to get baked into into this cake. Let's let's kind of shift the the conversation here a little bit, Scott, because I know I don't, I don't want to just keep hitting the nail on the head with this one. I think we both, you know, we're both pretty concerned with it, but at the same time, I think we've touched everything we can. Um, some some news came out, I guess, late last week that. President Donald Trump was going to be arrested today. We're recording on Tuesday. Um, obviously, that hasn't happened yet. Um, but it did stir up quite a bit of a reaction. You had two bomb threats called into uh, the New York City courthouse today where that arraignment would have theoretically happened. You've got uh, re- Republican congressmen calling for uh, District Attorney Bragg to be arrested for meddling in election. And then lo and behold, you know, a report comes out today that it was actually Donald Trump's people who released that he would be arrested today so that he could stoke this sentiment and create this, I guess, momentum about his arrest to, to that way try and delay the process or, or not let it happen because we would see how pissed off everyone would be. And, you know, I don't know about you, Scott, but I want one billionaire one time, one time held accountable for the crimes that they've done. I want one of them to go to jail. If it's Trump, fantastic. I am, you know, no sleep lost there. But any of them that break the law, they all get away with murder because they're rich or because they're political influence. And it's it's just, in my opinion, it's time one of these guys... It's got to be held accountable. I mean, if you could, if you could give the death penalty for treason one time, one time for this stuff, it, it doesn't happen again. These guys get too scared and they don't do it. But they know, they know they won't be held accountable. Trump knows he's not going to be held accountable for any of the things that he's done, and it's why he continues to manipulate, you know, a third of the country at will because he's never held accountable. Is uh, there is one he, he's been he's been working a long con since the seventies. I mean, we're talking about how long this is. The one thing that he has been successful at, I mean, because he hasn't been successful in business, he's declared bankruptcy several times. This is the guy that decided, you know, we're going to sell stakes in the sharper image. It's like I'm looking through a catalog. I want a massage chair. And 10 of the most succulent steaks that I can, you know, who does that? That's stupid. But what Trump has been able to do is Trump has been able to convince people that he's a good businessman. That's his one con. 
since the 1970s, uh, were that, and I think what happens is, is that Trump is basically the bank robber that goes in with a water gun. He goes in with a bag with a dollar sign on its, you know, on, on the on the bag, but with a hole in the bottom. And he goes in, he demands the money, and the money, of course, falls through the hole in the bag. He, everybody knows it's a water pistol, so everybody, you know, they press the alarm. But they said, well, we shouldn't arrest him because nothing bad happened. Just want to remind people, attempted murder is a crime. If you try to kill somebody and you fail, you've committed a crime. And this is the same thing with Donald Trump. And I think what people go look at is, and this is where that smart businessman comes in, because people look at these plots and they look at the phone calls to Georgia and they look at, you know, the fact that he's trying to collude with Russia and they look at um, trying to get, you know, Ukraine to investigate, you know, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. And they look at, you know, how haphazardly these plots just fail. They said he couldn't have done it because he's a smart businessman. A smart businessman wouldn't have done something so stupid. Except Donald Trump is that stupid, folks. He just is. Now, usually for me, and this is where you know I've kind of found myself torn, is I'm usually not a guy that likes political prosecutions because this is what happens. Invariably, you arrest their guy, so they want to arrest your guy, and this is how banana publics, you know, operate all the time. You not just you don't only defeat your opponents; you arrest them with some trumped-up charge. You know, pardon the pun, trumped-up. But the thing is, is where, where Trump is different is he's done all this. Okay, he paid off Stormy Daniels. We know he did this. They can't deny that he did it. They have a paper trail. They they, they have everything. They can't deny that he tried to strong arm Georgia into changing the results of their election. We we have a phone. We have several phone calls now. He's on tape, absolutely on on tape, saying, "I need you to find the votes. Find the votes." He's on tape before the election, saying, "Hey, you know, this is going to happen. I need you to do this for me." He, you know, he sat there before the election. He said, "It's going to be stolen," because he knew. He knew the absentee ballots were going to go against him. He knew how this thing was going to go down. And, you know, we have all kinds of documented proof that he knows this. We have documented proof that he tried to strong arm Ukraine into investigating the Bidens. We have documented proof that at least his campaign was working with Russia back in 2016. We have all this. So what are we doing? You know, the fact that you want to arrest this guy, you know, do you want to put him in jail for hush money? I mean, that's a legitimate question, I guess. If you want to sit there and say, yeah, maybe there's other crimes that other people have committed that are, you know, more serious. Okay. But the thing is, is that this guy has committed so many different crimes over the years and he's never spent one day in jail. And he does this every time. He finds some way to kick the can down the road to where, you know, you're going to forget about it. You're just going to sit there and let it happen. And, 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 and he gets to do all the stuff over again. And it's maddening. It's maddening. It, this is how January 6th happened. He came on Twitter. He came on Twitter, said, hey, come on over, invade the Capitol. He all but sit there and gave everybody the, you know, the instructions. Come over and do this. He's doing it again. They let him back on Twitter. Now he's saying it again. Hey, protest for me. You know, keep this from happening. This is, you know, whenever, you know, Oliver Wendell Holmes was talking about, you know, yelling fire to crowded theater. This is exactly what he was talking about. This. This. Yeah. Scott, getting fired up. I love it. Got a, got a big spike on the old audio over here. But no, you're absolutely right. He has never once been held accountable for any. I mean, Donald Trump, you're looking at a guy who failed his way to the top. I mean, I don't know how. I, I mean, I do. It's glitz and glam and his daddy's money. But nothing he's he's put his hands on has has ever been successful. I mean, you, you look at the, the things he built in Atlantic City. 
Then go look at the lawsuits that came from the mostly Polish immigrant-owned subcontractors that he never paid. They sued him for their work. He then countersued him for so much money, they went bankrupt waiting for the countersuit to be played out in court. And he offers them pennies on the dollar for the work that they did. They have to take it because they got to pay their people. Next thing you know, they go out of business. So nothing he's done at any point in his life screams successful businessman. He somehow, you know, built this image. I he, I would have loved to see it happen in the late 70s, early 80s. I, I don't get it. I mean, it all started with an ice skating rink in New York City. I mean, the guy builds an ice skating rink and declares himself a god. And then from there, you know, built apartment complexes that were, you know, racist in their, um, uh, you know, decisions on who to sell to. He built casinos in Atlantic City where he not only worked with the mob, but screwed people over and paying them. Um, he has a clothing brand. He slaps his name on everything. He, like, There's nothing about this guy that screams good business. I mean, his children stole from a a, ch- a charity for children. His, his, both of his older sons are never allowed to work for a nonprofit ever again because they pilfered it dry. So... I, I don't understand how he has this every man <laughs> attitude about it. it. Just none of it makes sense. Nothing of Donald Trump makes sense. But but when you go look at, at the history of strong men, you know, when every country thinks they need a strong leader to take them out of it, none of them really were the every man. You know, it, Benito Mussolini wasn't an every man. Uh, Adolf Hitler wasn't an every man. You know, he was. Yeah, he was. He grew up poor, but he was an artist. He was. He was not a a blue collar guy. He was. He was selling paintings of postcards to make a living in in um, in Switzerland. It, it, it's. I'm sorry, in Paris, not in Switzerland. But either way, um, these aren't you know blue collar every man kind of guys, but they portray themselves that way. And and somehow Trump has done that, and he's just got so many people to just blindly do whatever he says. You know, when he gets them riled up, there's you can't tell anybody anything else. There's no there's no fact, there's no rhyme or reason because as you said, we've got this guy on tape. You know, then this is this is the evidence we know about, Scott, right? He, like realistically, he could get convicted off what we know about. There's a whole other dossier of of stuff that we haven't been privy to because it's not public information yet. And you know, that's worse. But here we are sitting here talking about how this is a politically motivated prosecution. No, it is a protect your nation mode. I mean, I'm sorry. If someone commits MFing treason, treason, he committed treason. And we're, we're acting like we're trying to derail an election. Because the sad part is people would still vote for this guy. Even if he goes to jail and puts his name on the ballot like he's claiming to do, there are still, I'm not saying he'll win, but there are still idiots out there who will write Donald Trump in as a candidate and vote for him. And he'll get 5 to 10% of the electorate, even from jail. And, and I want to pose a hypothetical to you, Scott, as I, as I toss it back to you. Donald Trump's found guilty, and the judge gives him two choices. He can go on national television, simulcast on every major news channels, and admit he lied. And admit that he lost the election and that he's tried to steal the election, or he could go to jail. Which one do you think he picks? Oh, he's going to jail. That's what I think too. I honestly think he would go to jail other than admit. Yeah, two and two things before we we move on to you know our favorite part of the week uh, and, and hopefully your favorite part of the week as well. Just two things to consider. He and his father were found to be racist by the. Richard Nixon Justice Department in 1973. Do you realize how racist do you have to be to be found to be racist by Richard Nixon? I mean, this is nuts. And then the second thing, you mentioned his casinos. Who operates a failing casino? I haven't known, I haven't known like Harris in New Orleans is still open. And, you know, I, I couldn't fathom, you know, we went to Harris once 
you know, my wife went to school at Tulane, so you know, we visited New Orleans several times. We've gone into Harris once because there's so many other things to do in New Orleans. Harris is still open. How do you operate a casino that fails? And then how are you found to be racist by the Richard Nixon Justice Department? I mean, folks, that, that's staggering. I, I, I thought the, the phrase was the house always wins, Scott. Like I was pretty sure in the long run, the house always wins. So you're right. How in what world do you lose money as a casino? And I mean, obviously some of it goes to Atlantic city, just not being the popular destination it once was, but if you had built it up the way that you claimed you had, right? Like Vegas has stayed popular. Vegas has maintained its appeal to the gambling community for, we'll say what, 75 years now has not been the case with, Atlantic City. It's had its ebbs and flows. And if and again, if you built this Mecca, the Taj Mahal, this beautiful gambling Mecca, people would go. But because it's a piece of crap that was not well built and is not well taken care of, and you don't put money into making sure that your guests have a great time because you got a gold toilet or whatever the hell he has in his apartment, um, it, it, it became crap. I mean, it, it should tell you everything you know. The, the city of New York doesn't want him living there. Uh, the state of New York doesn't want him living there. New Jersey doesn't want him living there. And he's got to run to Florida after he, I mean, he's all of his properties, his main properties are in New York and New Jersey, and they don't want him there. And neither does Florida, really. Uh, and, and the reason what we know is that we know the reason why his casino failed is not necessarily because his casino wasn't profitable. It's the fact that he was taking money out the other end. And so not only is he, you know, robbing his contractors and subcontractors blind, he's robbing his, he's pilfering his own casino. So, I mean, this guy, wow. Okay. So moving on to our favorite segment of the week. Yes, it is your scum of the week segment. Everybody loves this, uh, this time of year. So I'm going to, you want, you want, uh, Tim is kind of gesturing that she he wants me to go first. Okay. I'm going to throw a new name at you. Uh, some of one that y'all know, and I have to give some background on this. I am going with Kirk Cameron. Okay, so who exactly is Kirk Cameron? Well, if you grew up in the same uh, time period I did, in the late 80s and early 90s, there was a show called Growing Pains. And Kirk Cameron was the star of the show. Uh, he was a teenager back then, a teenage heartthrob. Everybody loved him. And in the process of filming that show, he was born again. He found Christianity. And actually, you know, something I didn't know that I found out recently is uh, Alan Thicke did an interview before he, was, uh, before he passed away where he went into depth into all the things Kirk Cameron was doing. So Kirk Cameron was looking over scripts. He was changing individual words. He actually wanted the show to go in a different direction. He wanted his character to find God and then to lead his family back to God. Well, fortunately for the Growing Pains viewers, he did go, uh, they didn't go that route. But what happened was is that there was a woman on the show who was his girlfriend, and they were supposed to get married. And Kirk Cameron found out that the actress playing this woman had posted Playboy. So, and, and this has not been documented 100%, so I just want to be fair. Kirk Cameron disputes this story, but the story is, is that he got her kicked off the show. It virtually ruined her career. Now, this is back in the early 90s, so you're probably wondering, why the heck is Scott bringing up Kirk Cameron now? Well, uh, he has gone off the religious deep end. He's still off the religious deep end. He's doing, like, he did, like, this Left Behind series and all this, that, and the other. But now he's written him some children's books, and he wants to go traveling the country, and he wants to read these children's books to children 
in, in libraries. And a lot, most of them have said, sure, you could do that. Well, there's one library in Tennessee where the library has said, you know what? We're not letting in drag queens. We want to stay out of politics altogether. And so we're, we want to avoid anything that smacks of politics. So we're going to ban the drag queens, but we're also going to not allow Kirk Cameron to come in. So what ends up happening? Kirk Cameron and his group, they strong arm the county. The library board votes, and that librarian has been dismissed from his duties. He's been fired. We talked about you know what Trump is doing you know, earlier in this episode, where he is calling on people to uh, to perhaps violently prevent him from being prosecuted. Well, there have been members of of the group that Kurt Cameron preaches to who have threatened violence of these libraries that have not agreed to let him in. Uh, there's been bomb threats. Uh, there's been all kinds of things. Now, let's be fair here. Did Kirk Cameron himself say, hey, I want you to threaten violence on these libraries? We don't have any proof of that. I'm not going to argue that. It is what it is. But that's kind of what these conservatives do. So that they kind of do a, you know, weak, weak, nudge, nudge. Hey, this is unfair. We want you to do something about it. Well, they could come back and they could sit there and say, well, we didn't say what we wanted you to do about it. We didn't tell them to threaten violence. But you kind of know, like when you're dealing with Proud Boys and, you know, people in groups like that, you, you know what you're going to get. But... He, you know, he, he could sit there and say, I didn't do that. He could sit there and say that I didn't ruin that actress's career. She chose to uh, pose in Playboy. But the point is, is that when you're a Christian, and if you're going to be, you know, if you're going to be a bona fide Christian, the, you know, the number, one, number the two biggest rules of Christianity are, you know, love God and love your neighbor. And if your neighbor has done something wrong, if they realize they've done something wrong, there needs to be a path to forgiveness. You cannot you know, just completely, I'm going to use this word, cancel them because they did something bad in their past. Everybody has done something bad in their past. Everybody's done something stupid. So why do I get to sit there and say, well, you're a bad person? That's not for me to say. If I'm a good Christian, it's certainly not for me to say. God gets to judge. I don't. And Kirk Cameron doesn't either. And he, that's why he's my scum of the week. That's a good one. And I think we're going to be on, on similar thought processes this week. Because mine, I'm, I'm going to have it's a collective scumbag. Uh, and mine's the group of Proud Boys that decided to go protest the drag queen story time uh, in New York City with, uh, I think it's Letitia James. Um, yes, Attorney General Letitia James was there as well with the, you know, with the drag queen story hour. And for me, Scott, like I, I personally, I would not take my kids to that. But at the same time, like I don't care enough to protest it or try and stop it, right? If I, I, it's not for me, I'm not going to go. That's not who the Proud Boys are. And and for those of you, you know, you mentioned the Proud Boys as well. For those of you who don't know who the Proud Boys are, for the most part, they are a group of people who act like they were in the military, but they were not. And it is a cosplaying group of wannabes who like to act tough and intimidate um, left, left-minded uh, activists, protesters, trans community, gun rights activists, minorities, they are thugs. They are far-right thugs. So they showed up to protest and you know let it be known that this was not okay. And for that, they are my scumbags. Absolutely my scumbags. Because when they do, they always bring, bring violence. 
But just this little nugget of greatness came out of the video, Scott. Now, I don't know if you've seen this, but one of the Proud Boys got popped right square in the face. Just boom, right pow, right in the kisser. And he's coming off and he's bleeding and he's like basically crying, I was only here to help. Why are they hitting me? And it's like, take a look in the mirror, bud. Like there's helping and there's hurting and then there's whatever the hell that you're doing and it wasn't helping. And, you know, to this day, I will I will strongly be by the opinion of the only way to deal with fascists is punching them right in the face. If you see like a legit street fascist, the only way to deal with them is popping them right in the face because they're going to sit there and they're going to try and intimidate you with a group of people around and make it seem like they're tough, but they're not. Most of these guys are cosplayers. They've never seen a lick of combat in their entire life, and they are only tough when there's other people around them. The moment they just get walloped right in the face, they go crying that they were only trying to help. When the whole crowd is shouting, F the Proud Boys, go back to Long Island. It's really, a, it's an awe-inspiring video. And, you know, there's, again, that little nugget of just Mwah, right at the end where he's crying and leaving after he was just trying to help. But uh, this week for me, the, the just trying to help Proud Boys are my uh, scumbags of the week. I, I think that's an excellent choice. Yeah, and, and this is and when you talk about censorship and all this kind of you know, that and the other. If you don't want your child to read certain books, I fully support you if you want to keep your child from reading certain books. And you know we're we're moving, you know, because we we're getting to star, and once star's over, we can do whatever the heck we want. You know, we're moving into you know the part of the year where we start to do lit circles. And uh, for anybody who doesn't know what a lit circle is, it's basically, you know, you, you have, you know, maybe three or four kids in the class that are reading the same novel and, you know, they're going to read it together and they're going to talk about it and they're going to, you know, journal about it. And they're going to, you know, do all these things. They're going to analyze it. Now, if you don't want your child reading a particular book, please let us know and say, I don't want my child reading that book. However, you don't get the right to tell anybody else that they can't read that book. You do. You govern your own child. You don't govern anybody else's child. And if you don't want to take your child to a, a drag queen story hour, don't take your child to a drag queen story hour. But you don't need to keep anybody else from doing it. All right, Scott, real quick, we've got our um, idiot tweet. Of the week, and of course, it is coming from one of our Republican-minded congressmen. This week, I am on the Twitter feed of Representative Andy Biggs. Andy is a congressman from Arizona, so we'll just let that sink in for a second, as we've seen on some of the things that Arizona does. But we've got a couple back-to-back bangers from Representative Biggs. First off. If they come for Trump, they will come for you. This is the type of stuff that only occurs in third world authoritarian nations. So, yes, if if you try to steal an election, Scott, they should come for you. Otherwise, they won't. Tweet number two. President Trump is on the path to be indicted before any of the crooks in the Biden family. Think about that. We have a two-tier justice system. Again, this is another big swing and miss by Andy Biggs because we do have a two-tier justice system, but not in the way he's referring to. It's wealthy versus poor, and he continues to be on the side of wealthy. Scott? That's, yeah, that that's good stuff. You know, mine is actually not one that a Republican tweeted out, but is a one where you have a picture of a prominent Republican. And, you know, we have a past scumbag in this picture. Ron DeSantis is given a needlepoint. I don't know if you saw this. He's kind of kind of, kind of macaray, you know, decorated thing with the word fascist written in it. In multiple places, I might add. And he's holding this up, and he is so proud that he has been given this. So happy, you know. And, and we see these pictures all the time where people, you know, sit there and, and uh, they troll, you know, a, a politician, and the politician doesn't get it. Well, 
that was that was the height of my week to see you know Rod DeSantis getting trolled like that. I'm always in favor of a good Ronnie D, uh, good Ronnie D trolling, but some good, some good opportunities to work with on the, uh, Republican Twitter feeds, you know, we'll continue to monitor them. If, uh, one of our listeners finds one that we missed again, hit us up on the Facebook page, uh, the snap Hooks page, be sure to like, and follow it. Be sure to like, and follow the show. We are always in favor and very much would appreciate any five-star ratings uh, that anyone would like to give us. Uh, Scott, real quick, why don't you tell everybody how to find you? All right, you can find me on the Twitter machine at sbarzilla. Uh, love to hear from you. Love to give you your comments. Um, I write for the Texans at Battle Red Blog, and I write occasional columns at theholofameindex.com. As always, you can find me on Twitter, Tim underscore Costello10. Um, and again, we are active on the, the Facebook page, uh, the Snapbooks Facebook page. Be sure to like and follow that uh, as we'll have. Uh, Scott doesn't know this, but I've been taking screenshots the whole time. So we'll have some behind the scenes content for you on the Facebook Whoa. page. Yeah, a little bit of a sneaky shot going on over here in the uh, producer's booth. I'm, I'm having a bad hair life, so everybody <laughs> forgive me. But no, um, it's been a great uh, episode. Be sure to stay tuned for our um, sports edition coming out tomorrow. We are going to have a surprise guest talking a little bit of the NFL draft and some of the free agency moves that have been made so far. But again, we appreciate everybody uh, who has joined us and who has been a part of making this Snap Hook show as, as fantastic as it is. We appreciate you joining the movement. Um, and we look forward to seeing you again tomorrow as we talk a little bit of NFL draft on the snap book. Thank you for tuning into the snap book and making Scott and I a part of your week. Wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl, and his outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium. We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the Snaphook movement. We look forward to seeing you next week on the Snaphook.